0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast, stories by leaders for leaders, to help you raise the bar on your own excellence, to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This episode is, well, every episode is packed with adventure, packed with really creative thoughts. If you're stuck, we're going to help you get unstuck. If you think it's the end of the world, there's no hope. Well, you know, there's opportunity. There's a silver lining. And um, our guest today is Elise. It's spelled with an A, A A-L-I-S-E. And she's going to talk about the silver lining, the chance to reinvent the workplace. Now, this probably applies to anybody that leads anywhere but there's a unique opportunity right now for, for those of us that are in the social benefit space, the charity nonprofit, whatever we call ourselves, but we're doing the work that's important today. So Elise Cortez, welcome to the nonprofit exchange and please take a minute, tell people a little bit about you and why do you do what you're doing? What's your passion?
1: Hello, Hugh, thank you so much for having me. Be glad to do that, thank you. So, Why the nonprofit space? First, let me say that I have spent, oh goodness, let's call it close to probably 10 years serving on various nonprofit boards here in Dallas and really helping to support those initiatives. I I got to serve as the the, the president of an organization called Lakewood Service League, which has 125 East Dallas women devoted to supporting about 36 different nonprofits here in in the area. And then I was the chairman of the board of the YMCA here at White Rock during a time when we were raising $14 million for a new new building and just really got the love of the nonprofit space. And and then, of course, from there, because of that service, it gave me an opportunity to just stand in a place where I could then consult with other nonprofits as clients, which I did later. So what do I do professionally is the easiest way to think of me as a management consultant, and I specialize in the meaning and purpose space. I've been doing that kind of work cumulatively for about 20 years and I love what I love about it, Hugh, so much is it's, it's a pure joy and a privilege to literally stand with, and when I'm working with someone, a leader or an organization, and literally before my very eyes, watch them grow. That is the most amazing thing to get to behold. So the work entails doing leadership development, employee engagement kind of work, culture kind of work, I created my own leadership program called Vitally Inspired: Living and Leading for Purpose. So that's a little bit of what I do professionally. A little bit of why I love nonprofits.
0: Purpose and um, your banner on your website: Live with passion, work on purpose. That's lovely. I couldn't fit it into the the, the space on my site, but I'll put it I'll put it in the space. So you find her at A L I S E. C-O-R-T-E-Z, EliseCortez.com. It's uh, like you're going to write Alice, but it's Elise. And um, you're a unique individual. And the first time I met you, the passion for what you do really comes through your being. Um, you're, you're very focused. So how did you come about this, this live with passion, work on purpose, that, that tagline? How did, how did that come to you?
1: Yeah, thank you, Hugh. The whole tagline is live with passion, work on purpose, and lead with inspiration. Um, it, it's, it's evolved over the years, right? Like like so many things have for people, but, and as I picked up more and more steam, so one of the great things that happened, and I'll say it's nice to be on the other side of the mic, by the way, Hugh, because one of the things that I've been doing to ongoing develop myself is hosting my, my weekly working on purpose radio show, which I'm looking forward to having you on as a guest shortly. That program for me, Hugh, is a catalyzing force. So it's about, I've got, as of today, it's 281 episodes that I have created and and hosted. And the preparation for those shows, I usually entails reading a whole entire book and then preparing for the conversation. So I I get to bake into my being, the knowledge that comes from preparation and the conversation that I have with the guest. So over the years, when I first started that, that program, Hugh, I started it in February of 2015. And what I wanted to do on the heels of having finished a large postdoc research on meaning and work and identity, what I wanted to do was and did for about a year and a half was showcase guests that were working on were working with passion. So I brought on guests who love what they did and it was just dripping from the walls and it was inspiring and interesting to hear how they had persevered to stay doing what they were doing. And then over time, it became more about really showcasing inspiration, how to showcase What do I think is inspiring that might be inspiring to somebody else? And then most recently, the last year, year and a half has really been focused on the the purpose space, having people that are talking about doing their work from purpose or on purpose um, and how organizations increasingly are, are executing and operating from their purpose in a way that allows their employees to align with that purpose. And so that's such a dynamic force when everyone's aligned and they're all, everyone's working for the same trajectory. So it's been, it started, I would say 20 years ago when I began researching the meaning, meaning of work that identity in space and it's just continued to evolve and grow. And I do believe I am living my purpose. The divining rod just kept me going along all those years and I kept opting into specific work. I'm almost like, there were times when I was like, this doesn't really make sense for me to do this, but I'm gonna obey this anyway and I'm gonna do it. And that's how the the space of meaning and purpose and inspiration has unfolded today for me.
0: Uh, uh, on the um, homepage of your site, um, there's this graphic, and you know a lot of people do me included uh, quotes from everybody else, and they never quote themselves. Um, I do that in my my blog posts and the articles I write. But um, you got a smack dab on your site with a picture of you in, in some really fancy place having a tea party. It looks like. Uh, Do what you love, or something on the cup. But your quote there, um, you call yourself a uh, speaker and purpose engagement catalyst. I love that. Um, And so here's what you say The key to long term productivity, fulfillment, and success in today's competitive marketplace is to embrace a lifelong habit of learning, inquiry, and growth that accentuates and challenges the way you think approach life and work and ultimately act Yo, that's a mouthful but it's pretty complex would take me a while to unpack that so um i'm going to put the uh put the uh, (coughs) web link uh on the page i'm going to paste it into the zoom right now but we will uh we do have your picture and stuff automatically go to your website but i'll if I haven't already, I will put um, your web link there. So um, let's get to this. We're recording this. Sometimes people listen to podcasts podcast years later, but we're recording this in, in 2010. We're just at the beginning of the summer, just actually before official summer, the 16th of June. Next week is summer. But um, we're in the, the last part of this, this COVID-19, and we're coming out of it, we think, we hope we pray that uh, it's time to put our feet on the ground and do something so what you what have you seen companies or what are they grappling with during the pandemic and the, the sheltering that went with that
1: I want to answer that but if I can go back really quick to that quote that you mentioned because that will that will undergird what I want to say as well so part of that quote which really speaks to the need for ongoing learning and development is is especially now in today's workplace, which is so incredibly competitive and driven by technology, artificial intelligence, robotics, now more than ever, people need to continually retool and develop new skills and talents. So I wanted to position that first because, one, I mean, I I do work in the learning space, and so obviously I believe in that. I do it for myself every single week, if not daily. So that is an important premise to stand on, is that we've, we've, in this pandemic, we've learned an awful lot, and we're going to learn even more as we go through it, I think, as individuals and, and as organizations. Um, but what I'm seeing is what are what are people grappling with inside organizations? I, I, I do, I'm still doing programs inside organizations, but now mostly virtually still doing executive coaching. So a finger on the pulse as to what's going on for a lot of organizations. What's going well, I think, for organizations is um, they have discovered that, you know what, people can work, work remotely pretty handily. They, a lot of organizations were very resistant to that because they didn't feel maybe they could control or monitor the output of work by employees. And now in the pandemic and during the forced sheltering in place, they had no other choice but to do so. So I think what, what's what been working well is that organizations have discovered how to better utilize technology to keep their employees productive and keeping the wheels moving on the bus down the road, that's one thing that's gone very well. I think also, too, what has been a very interesting observation from my vantage point as a social scientist and a philosopher is that the perhaps unintended outcome that's also come from that is that people who are working from home have rediscovered those individual human beings that otherwise occupy their house that they didn't know before. Their significant other, their children, their dog, right? They didn't know who are these people, who are these, these beings? So that's been reestablished in a very different way. I love beyond measure Hugh sitting here in my in in my office area, looking out my front my front window, and I watch parades of families going by, walking, riding their bikes, kids on the scooters, and it's delightful to see that reconnection, reestablishing of a family sort of unit that I think wasn't present before. So I think that's working toward helping. Some of, the, some of the social disconnection and malaise that's happened. On the other side of that, which I know we haven't gotten to the things that aren't good yet, on the other side of that, I do recognize there are, there are unions of people that are terribly fragmented and being in close proximity to the person that you weren't sure you liked before the pandemic and now you're stuck with them, <laughs> is a little bit of a different matter, right, for some other people. And I wanna recognize that that's no small thing. I also think that we've recognized that there's more, what's been good about this is organizations have recognized and begun to get present to a necessary what I call work-life harmony. And, and because kids were couldn't go to school, they were being they were being schooled from home virtually while, while their, their parents worked alongside them to, to, to be in the office or their work setting, what what, what was discovered is conference calls naturally entailed the sounds of children laughing and people moving through the house and the dogs barking and such whereas before those were supposed to be separate elements in life you work and then you live someplace else and the pandemic allowed us to be able to because we were all forced at home to thread those elements in. i think a much more harmonious productive peaceful way i think and that organizations had to recognize that that was that was what was going to have to take place to keep things moving so i think all that's good before I go into what I don't think is working, any comments or reactions or additions?
0: Well, I think there's a, there's a pivot. And the, this is where really effective leadership makes a difference. And leaders adapted right away that were capable and flexible. Um, you know, there's, a, there's this thing going around called adaptive leadership. Um, I think an effective leader does adapt to the situ- situation. My, my area of leadership coaching is transformational leadership which is about a culture of high performance and a high performing leader. But, but I think the pivot um, must happen from the leader. And if, when I look at the effective companies, well, the fortune 500, you know, there's only 53 of the original 500 that are still there because those leaders didn't adapt to what the current situation was. You know, they just, they just ran to the wall because they were doing things the way they always did them. Now it's, it's in what you're talking about. I've seen, higher levels of productivity, higher levels of employee satisfaction when we don't have to, to do so many in-person meetings, and we're not wasting time traveling. So I think we've discovered something, we've really discovered which meetings could have been held by email anyway and <laughs> save time. But there, you know, the, um, the, the, uh, the Gallup uh, surveys have shown for years that 70% of the workforce is either disengaged were actively disengaged. So em- employers were pretending they had control over people in the space when they really didn't. And there was a $500 billion of waste just in the productive part, not the leadership. And as, as, as we are talking to those who are leading uh, charitable organizations, some are large, some are small. Um, the burnout rate is huge because we're trying to cover so many bases. And this is a good chance, and, and as you go on, this is a good chance to reset the bar. And it really means that we as leaders need to step out and say, this is what we're doing. And so it's equipping ourselves. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving what you're saying, and it's we're at a pivot point, and it's important for leaders to step up. So, yes, I'm tracking. I love it.
1: Great, 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 great. So uh, on the other flip side of, maybe, of what's not going well, what are, what are organizations and, and employees grappling with? Now, I started off by talking about the, the world of technology, artificial intelligence and robotics, et cetera. The other thing that's what, that I'm finding from talking to my clients and the reading that I'm doing to keep myself informed is that a, a major problem that's happening is that employees, even despite with all, all this technology available, they do not feel connected to one another. And that is such a crucial thing to be able to feel connected to and belong to your fellow your fellow workers, your fellow teammates, and to be part of an organization that you're proud of and, and feel like you can align your purpose through. And because people have been their routines have been for have been changed through sheltering in place and they're at home, they don't get the benefit of those meetings that can be incredibly Interesting, meaningful interactions for them—the eyeball exchange, being able to laugh with somebody, being able to look across the, the table at your teammate and go, oh, "I know what that person means." She's over there juggling her leg. I mean, she's nervous, and being able to enjoy that—you could see that in the other person and help them through it. That part is missing for a lot of people, even though we're doing video video calls. The the human connection element is very, very sadly and terribly missing, and it is contributing to. Uh, well-being demise. There are greater instances of depression and anxiety and stress among people, both because they can't touch each other and work with each other, but also because they're dealing with other issues in the pandemic that have compounded on them. So it's really important that organizations recognize just how stressful and anxiety producing this time is for their employees and get them some help. There's a lot of organizations out there doing amazing work. A couple of them I've had on my radio show recently talking about how they help Employees address well-being and mental mental health so that's the big one. The first thing that I want to say is one thing that they're grappling with is is that lack of meaningful connection in fact, one of my one of my clients just last week reached out and said, at least we're dying at the vine. What can you do? can you can you do something for us as for a virtual meeting for a team building session we, we feel so lost without each other and unmoored so certainly that's one thing to, to talk about. I I would say also to what people are, what they're grappling with, organizations are are grappling with too, is obviously just the the reduced, for for many organizations, the reduced uh, demand for their goods and services. And so what does that do for the bottom line, the the operational piece? And then let's say back to your word pivot. All right, so we've identified we've got a severe reduction in, in revenue. What do we do now to divert our energies to do something else to produce other income That's fantastic, and it's so exciting to see organizations innovate. And let's not forget that that's also really trying and challenging for the people that are are set to the task of pulling that off. I know many, many, many organizations, Hugh, whose employees are working around the clock to be able to try to handle the pivot, right? And so just from the human vantage point of of workload and stress and, and emotional anxiety, I would put those two things as is, is really important items um, that need addressing by organizations and their leaders.
0: How, how often do you find that some of the major issues are invisible to leaders, like blind spots? Or how often do you find that there's something significant that the leaders don't see, hence why they need you?
1: <laughs> you know, I appreciate that question so much. I, 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 I'll say in all candor, Hugh, If that phenomenon weren't epidemic, I wouldn't have the work that I do. (laughs) Probably you wouldn't either, right? Think about that. Probably you wouldn't either. Because, right, to be human is to have an inordinate number of blind spots all the time, right? We We all have them, no one is immune to it. The opportunity is to find consistent and constant ways to try to get present to them and understand their impact and how you could Replace the, the, the blind spots and the behavior that comes with it with something much more productive and effective. So I, I think that for a lot of organizations, right? To your speaking to your point of blind spots, I think that they begin one. They discovered the blind spot of oh, we really can be productive working remotely. That's interesting. Good to know. Um, and the blind spot too of a lot of organizations, it's amazing, even if you work really hard at your culture to try to create a space where employees can feel empowered to speak their mind honestly, it's incredibly difficult to say something that may be perceived as hard news to a leader above you or to someone you respect and admire. There's just such a concern about hurting their feelings. And so finding ways to open that dialogue so people can, can actually learn about some of their blind spots is incredibly difficult. And I do think it helps sometimes to have a third party, like you and I, or somebody else that holds up the mirror and, and shows what's going on. So blind spots are a real, real deal. And it's not that you, I don't want to add any negative charge to them because they're just, they are what they are. The opportunity, though, is to keep looking for them and keep getting present to what, what they are and what you can do about
0: them. Yes. And, and the mistake I hear is people say, I'm going to deal with it, I'm going to deal with it, which means I'm not going to deal with it. And, and number, that's one, they, they, don't, they don't have the ability to say, okay, I need to learn something. Or the willingness to say, I'm willing to be vulnerable and say, okay, what do I need to change? And, and maybe don't have the awareness that there is actually something to change. Um, I find that the, the top leaders I work with are vulnerable, are aware, and are willing. And those are those are necessary prerequisites. Now, now the burnout in the workplace has been excessive. Now we have a lot of people that are that are displaced in the workplace right now, and I see the job numbers are coming back, and so that that make that gap may close. But they're going to go back in a different kind of workspace, and like you said. There's some opportunities for improvement here. The uh, statistics for nonprofit leaders um, who overfunction drastically is the burnout rate is 45 percent, according to the Meyer Foundation study a few years ago. 45 percent of burnout leave, 75 percent or so stressed, they're looking at the door, wanting to get out. A uh, clergy uh, one in ten make it to retirement. It's a very stressful job. And and right now when people are wanting different things and they can't meet, there's a whole lot of stress for clergy. So, uh, you know, centering, being focused on principles and and moving into the conflict with meaningful conversation, but also being decisive. So let's talk a bit about what are the traits that a, a leader needs to have to be able to embrace some of these new ideas, to embrace some transformation in themselves if we're going to transform systems, we have to start with ourselves. So what what does a leader need to be able to do and to say, to be able to make a change and take advantage of this very unique time in history?
1: What a great question. It's a beautiful question. Very thoughtful question. There's so much that we could say to that, right? We could probably host another 10 episodes talking about that, what what a leader needs at a time like this. Uh, But let me start with a few things that come directly to mind. One is, they need a tremendous amount of empathy to recognize that this is really a very, very demanding time for their employees and really really being mindful and present to that there's so much chaos happening for people and what the the state that that puts their employees into their, the community that they serve their their customers um, their investors, everybody right the all of the stakeholders set so i 'd say first a really strong amount of empathy and i 've seen some fantastic displays of this, Hugh by organizations, for example, early on in the pandemic, I I think it was Bank of America that had to lay off several of their employees. And the way that the, the leader did it, the way the CEO messaged that was so real, and it was authentic, and it was of tremendous concern, and if there was any other way that we could avoid doing this, we would. And that just goes such a long way at this time. And so that speaks to emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence has been identified as one of the critical factors that leaders need to continue to stoke and develop over the course of their lives to be effective. So empathy and and emotional intelligence would be top of the list. I would also then have to throw in there a a profound sense of curiosity. What is really happening here? What's so here? What do we have on our hands? What's working? What's not? And and that means setting aside predisposed ideas about what what I think I know about the situation. So being being ferociously curious, I think, is important. Uh, I, did, I also think that you know, leaders have the job. They're, they're what is it, What's a leader? Somebody who has followers, somebody who is depending on that person to set the direction and help them get through this terrible mess. So a leader needs other support, and, and they need somebody, an, a, a team or a crew of people to hold them up and keep them well-conditioned for the cause that they've just found themselves in in this pandemic, certainly. Um, I'm working with several CEOs and leaders right now for that very reason, because this is really hard work to lead through something like this, right? You you, you know that. So top of mind, those are just a few of the things that, that, that I would say. I, I guess I would also say that thinking strategically is really, really important. I, I just had a gentleman on my show a couple weeks ago named Patrick Bet-David. He's got a book out that speaks to the importance of business people, and that's including nonprofits and clergy, to think five moves ahead. So really thinking about where is this going? If we take this next step, what are the ramifications that happen from that? If we take the next six steps, what are those? So strategic thinking, hugely, hugely important. Those are just some of the things that come to my mind. What about you?
0: It has been said that leaders live in the future. You know, we see possibilities, we see we have a vision of what can be then we move toward that toward that vision um, And in Napoleon Hill's work he interviewed 500 of the top most successful leaders in the United States and every one of them had a what he called a definiteness of purpose you know something good for for humankind they had definiteness of purpose they surrounded themselves with very successful people and and last last and not the least of those was they always had a positive mental attitude. Failure was not an option. Now, we can walk into the walls, we can walk off a cliff when we're not skilled. So let's speak of the skill set. Now, some people kick around, oh, that person's a born leader. No, they're just bossy. <laughs> I I don't know about you, but I, I haven't found any evidence anybody's born with leadership skills. It's a it's a very um, some people are born with musical skills, but I've got um, education, and it took took some money and some time for me to build out uh, my education so I could apply and grow my skills. I had some education in coaching, had education in. Uh, leadership I had education and meeting facilitation so there's a lot of areas where I said I want to learn and you spoke earlier about keeping yourself prepared so I want to want to tag on that but um, before I forget on your website now if people go to your website there's a menu at the top and one of them says radio and so there's your radio show there. You referred to it a few times. So Elise, Cortez.com, and then click on the, uh, on the link that says uh, radio, and it will you'll be able to see the episodes of her show. And we started this series in 2014, so um, we're close to uh, making history in the same amount of time. So let's talk about the, the traits of a leader. Now, you talked about emotional intelligence. That does not mean emotional decision-making. We still want to make rational, thoughtful decisions. So talk about um, how we apply that emotional intelligence to leadership, how we build relationships, because the foundation of of any leadership is, is relationships. So talk in that space just a minute, would you? You
1: know, I just pulled up a document you i to be glad to do it. It is so timely as I don't think we've talked about this yet, Hugh, but one of the things I'm doing that will come for me out of the pandemic, I'm going to have two things coming out of the pandemic, Hugh. One is that my first full-length book is, is done and it's, I already had it once sent to the publisher and I'm now incorporating feedback back. The other thing is, is, is a, is an elevated uh, business model. So that's what, those are my gifts from the pandemic. But in the book that I'm writing, um, which is called Purpose, uh, purpose Unleashed. Um, how inspirational leaders are made, uh, inspire passion and elevate cause. I have a section in there on, on purpose inspired leadership. And what I say specifically is, I'm, I'm out to help create ins- inspired leaders, inspirational leaders. And so what do I mean by inspirational leaders is really what, there's about seven characteristics that, that come with that particular model that, that I'm out to create. Um, the first thing is that that they express un, unnerving or unending positivity. Um, they are they express and, and, and demonstrate gratitude for their team on a regular, ongoing basis, specific basis. They have a crystal clear vision for the future. They listen. They listen powerfully and generously. They communicate impeccably and are wonderful storytellers. And those storytellers are people that can really convey. The, the quality and, and, and impact to the purpose of the organization and the contribution of each team member. So that is profoundly important. And sixth, they are trustworthy. We know who they are, they're, they're authentic to us, they let, they, they let us see their their real person, so we trust that. And then last, they're passionate. They're, they believe in what they're doing and this is something that they love doing. It's not just, hey, I'm here to collect large amounts of stock options, an amazing paycheck, and to tell people what to do, but I am here because this is the greatest thing that I've ever been involved in, or at least it comes off that way. So to me, those seven characteristics are what I'm out to help create in leaders.
0: Awesome. Um, uniquely enough, um, I have the 10 points of what transformational leadership is, and every one of those is on my list. With the, <laughs> right. With the addition of getting things off your plate, we don't know how to delegate, we don't know how to sign things, but It's so essential to be very clear about articulating your your vision. I can't tell you how many leaders, both in the nonprofit space and the business space, um, who do not have a plan of action. They don't have a strategy. So how are people going to be engaged without a roadmap and assignments? And and so I have all kinds of excuses. We're talking to Dr. Elise Cortez on the nonprofit exchange. I want to talk about our sponsor here a minute. And then if, if, if you know somebody ought to be listening to this, get them because we got some more we're at the halfway point, And the really tough questions are coming up. So we're going to deal with the really hard stuff coming up. So invite invite somebody to join us. And you can see this as a replay on the vnonprofitexchange.org, The And our sponsor today is um Easy Card. EasyCard is a virtual core card that you can have for your nonprofit or your business or your speaker business or your author business, your consultant business, your coaching business, the easy card for nonprofit exchange is on the Center Vision Leadership. So, we have the nonprofit exchange videos and you click click on that and you see today's episode with Elise. Now, to get this easy card, it's everything you need to know about Center Vision Leadership Foundation. Now, our website is a shell. Underneath is a community. It's a community of people like you working their best to change people's lives. And you can be a part of this community. You can try it out for a dollar. Then after that, it's just a little over a dollar a day. And you get amazing resources targeted for what you need next. And then you have conversations with me and group members every week. So there's office hours, and we're just starting subgroups for clergy, some groups for a cause-based charity, some groups for young uh, philanthropists wanting to get started. So to get this card, it's an easy card, which means it's easy. Send a text to uh, 64600. That's a number, 64600. And in the message, you put in the letters LDR, push send, and you'll get a link back. And then you'll have center vision leadership foundation always in the palm of your hand and we will send you text updates for important webinars important live events important things that are happening that will impact your leadership help you build your team and help you create channels of revenue so we're talking to elise cortez today about leadership and and specifically today the, the title that she chose and i have got to pull it up here is covid 19 Silver Lining, the chance to reinvent the workplace. So, Elise, wh- what was the inspiration that led you to putting that title? Because you and know, I talked a few weeks ago and you said, hmm, I'm thinking about what I want to talk about. But when I saw that, I said, whoa, she's spot on. So, what was the inspiration behind creating that title for today?
1: Yeah. So, as I really got from the very beginning here when this thing first hit us in the united states in in march i really got wow this is a major hard reboot a forced restart the earth has turned on its axis and it's not going to go back so that means that we all need to respond to this in in the most productive effective way that we can i mean individually as an organization as a community as a country the whole thing all in the world for that matter and so for me, and you said this so beautifully at the beginning of our conversations. This is a beautiful thing to present. You said that only fifty-three of the initial Fortune 500 companies were still on the list. And what does that speak to? And you said something about the other, you know, four hundred plus didn't really evolve. Well, all of life requires ongoing change and development. And those that those that are quick to change and adapt are the ones that survive and survive well and thrive. Those that are slow, oftentimes, don't make it or are at the bottom of the heap. So I look at this pandemic queue and COVID nineteen as this is if you if you miss the opportunity now as an organization as organizational leader nonprofit a clergy or even for profit for that matter if you miss the opportunity to, to take stock of what's go, what's gone on in your organization that has been going well and what needs to be changed you have missed it you missed the boat you have missed a, an incredible silver lining in this pandemic to look at various ways that you can take your organization forward in in a much more robust, productive, effective way that might make you even more viable than you were before the pandemic actually hit us. So that's where it came from is I looked at my own life, I looked at people around me, but immediately because I saw it as a forced reboot, well to me rebooting oftentimes, generally speaking, makes things better.
0: you know um, it's it's a chance for people who want to step up to actually do that um, you may or may not know that i served 40 years in different size churches as a up to mega churches as a music music director and the last 3 I went there knowing that they were in crisis <laughs> and you know the last one the bishop sent the preacher there to close down the church and here he is hiring a staff for the high functioning staff so we we doubled the attendance at three different services built a hundred thousand square foot state-of-the-art auditorium and had you know concert series with who's who of entertainers um, that could have been in new york or la in Huntsville, alabama and and so it was a challenge let's step up to what we're called to be and we all have a calling, and, and it's, it's um, there's some things that are working well. Some things don't work. One of the people that uh, spoke of Napoleon Hill earlier, one of the people he interviewed was Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison said, well, I found out 9,999 things that didn't work, but on the 10,000th try, I invented the light bulb because I knew I could do it. And he was relentless um, now that was – I don't think any of us have, many of us don't have that kind of stamina. He didn't sleep; he just it took cat naps. So that's that's real dedication to to a purpose and wanting to achieve something. And there are people who are ordinary people that stepped up to doing something really well and made a huge difference, just because they weren't willing to cave in. And so what's, what keeps people from? I mean, hundred people have an idea; only three people do it and then not all of those will succeed. What do you think leaders need to embrace to be able to say, I'm gonna do something and I'm gonna do something differently. Now, we're talking to primarily people that are in the the workspace we call nonprofit, whether it's it's a membership organization like a Chamber of Commerce or a cause-based charity or a church or synagogue, but that's a unique place to lead. And in many aspects, it's a lot more difficult than leading in corporate America where you have the leverage of a paycheck. Because we have these V people, these volunteer people running around who want to find the passion, but sometimes we get in the way. So what, what, is, what, what keeps us from stepping into what we see?
1: Well, the first thing I want to say, and I'm dealing with it right now with, the, with the, a couple of the, of the people that I'm coaching. Uh, so the first thing I want to say, and I want to speak to this just generically, I don't mean whether you're a, a leader or not. I mean just everybody out there in the world. Who's got a breath in their lungs right now this applies to and and that is i what i stand for is to encourage and inspire people to speak their mind use their voice and ask for what they want and to presence what they see especially if there's a solution attached to that and very often i don't care if you're the leader of the organization or if you just started last week and you're a volunteer there is a reticence to speak up like you haven't you can see what's happening here and it's very readily apparent what's going on here but there is such a reticence to share why, what you're seeing and why you think that's important, what can be done about it, especially when it's wrong. So what, first I want to say that some of the, the, the people that I'm coaching and the supplies to the organization talk about what they're starting to see and I, what I've been telling them is, yes, and guess what? You're part of the reinvention strategy. You need to make sure and speak that observation and that set of ideological oper- operatives back into the organization and make it become the future. So you've that in that case, you can reinvent the workplace with that knowledge, but you need people, not just the leader, the whole organization weighing in on what they're seeing that would make a difference and create a more effective, positive, thriving future for the organization and themselves. So what leaders can do to encourage that and elicit that is to ask for that. Say, oh my gosh, I've, I'm so clear that we can reinvent and recreate this organization to be more Vibrant than it was before the pandemic, and I need every single one of you to weigh in with your thoughts, your observations, and how you think we can do this together. And then what happens is now you have an organization that's been built from the very team who's going to power it. Because they helped create it and build it, they're in, they're engaged, they're involved, they want to see this thing through because they helped create it. And that is the most amazing way, I think, to be able to steward through this this pandemic, coming through the other side so much stronger. Um, but it does really require that solicitation from the leader to to reach into in, among their volunteers their team to to get that information and then what they have to be careful about this because if they already have an idea about how they think things should go and the volunteers or the the team doesn't provide input that aligns with that, there's a strong tendency not to listen to that and now you've disempowered the workforce even worse so that would be the first thing that that I would say here is those employees those volunteers those people on the street they do know what needs to be done they know what's working what's not doing what's not working the opportunity is for them to feel safe to be able to share their perspective and what they'd like to see going forward and that's vastly missing for a lot of people
0: as i understand steve jobs work style was he was always walking around uh, touching things talking to people engaging people so that was a relationship building. He may have been a hard person to work for, but he was very engaged and very active. And um, I think we tend to want to be behind closed doors and send emails. We really, we should be interfacing with people. So you've you've spoken often about coaching leaders. And one of the things that comes to mind is a a necessary prerequisite. Um, When I was in studying, conducting with some of the best conductors in the world, I went to Princeton and worked with a conductor there who I had read his book and he talked about uh, being vulnerable, and he said you cannot, when you're on a podium, by the way, podiums, what you stand on, not what you stand behind because it's foot, when you're on a podium in front of a choir and orchestra, you cannot make effective music unless you're vulnerable. It doesn't mean you're whooping and crying. It means you are a lot of things, but you're, you spoke about one of your principles was authentic authentic, transparent, vulnerable. Bernie Brown writes a lot of, on being vulnerable and does TED Talks on that. Um, so talk about vulnerability and coaching. I, I find that a lot of people wanna figure it out themselves. But what I noticed is the most successful people in any industry have a coach and some have multiples in different, different areas. It's those that are gonna figure it out that are still trying to get ahead. So the value of a coach, and and so do you have to be vulnerable and is it painful? Why do people need a coach? Uh
1: yes, I think if I think every single human being on the planet needs a coach, and you especially need one or more if you're up to something. I have two, and I probably could use another seven. so I, I'm a firm believer in that in that approach to constantly challenge yourself because that goes back to the blind spots we were talking about earlier in the conversation. Every one of us have blind spots and they run us and we don't even know it. And so a coach is someone who can first and foremost help put up the mirror as to how your, how your blind spots and your, your, your mindset is actually running you and is that, is, that, is that what you want? Most of the time there are aspects of that that are not working well and we have no idea, we're not at all conscious to that. So yes, I think coaching, having a coach at any level, especially as a, as a, as a leader that's in charge of, a, of, a, of an organization or in charge of a department, is a must. Uh, and you might change them over time and work with others, but somebody to help really grow you and challenge you and, and keep you, keep you uh, conditioned, if you will, for leadership. And that goes back again to what we said before about the importance of, from my vantage point, of ever continuous learning and growing. There is no resting in today's world. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I would just encourage people to embrace the fact that working with a coach, or t- taking any kind of ongoing um, learning or professional development is just part of the world we live in today. It should, it should live on the level as you know, taking vitamins, eating and, and, and sleeping, like that. So for me, you know, I consider that the show that I host every week a sort of a, a mini series of coaching for me because the kind of people that I have in the show, when you come on the show, I'm gonna extract as much knowledge as I possibly can from you and share with my listeners, right? So I'm consuming as well. I have, I've had some amazing conversations on air um, and pertinent to this conversation, one in particular that I wanna share. I had Marcus Buckingham on my show um, back in, in early May. And for those of, of you who don't know who he is, he spent about 25 years working for the Gallup organization when he, and he started when he was 16 years old. And he went on and started some other ventures of his own and he's really, he's a strengths component, or a proponent, excuse me. And he's all about today. Uh, He's about stewarding a future inside organizations that allows that where everybody is seen for their individual unique specialness. And that's brought out versus the bureaucratic way that so many organizations are run today, right? I see you smiling (laughs) about this, right? So the only way to be able to start to distinguish what does that look like is to get usually help and perspective from someone else, because it's really easy to default to what we think we should know and what has worked for us in the past, but that hasn't, isn't necessarily gonna take us into the future. So a coach or some kind of reference set to continually getting you to think about yourself, what's next is I think an imperative.
0: I'm laughing because it's the equality myth. You know, you look at the orchestra members, they're not, they're unique. Uh, so, so we 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 keep saying, um, you know, we have people who are not old white guys in 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 business. And so women say, I want equality. No, you don't want to dumb down to what old white men have done. The, the boomers. What you want to do? What you want is equity. What you want is an opportunity to use your stuff, not copy what we've done. So there's an opportunity for everybody, all God's people, to come in with their unique skills and talents and make a difference. Because, you know, it's kind of screwed up, and that's my generation. <laughs> so it's, there's, there's a really unique opportunity here um, for leaders to take hold of this and do something unique. And you look different than me. That's a good thing because it's a chance for, for all God's people to, uh, to, to do what they were created to do and be what they were created to be. So we're in the last few minutes of our episode. So you talked a little bit about what's, what we do well and what we don't do well. Give us a couple of summary points on both sides of that. Now, people can go to the nonprofitexchange.org, find this episode. We can read the transcripts. All your bullet points will be there in written form so people can get the review. So give us a short list of what do we do well as leaders and what do we not do well?
1: Oh, boy. Again, that could be a whole other show in and of itself. But, uh, well, and again, it depends, right? There's a whole spectrum of, of, of leadership effectiveness right and I, I had the privilege of in my career of working with brand spanking new people that were leaving their their individual contributor role to step into their first supervisor or manager role that's one end and then the other end is i've had the i've had the wonderful privilege of working with very very seasoned and tenured ceos that have been leading an organization with you know millions of dollars for for a, for a budget um and have been in such a capacity for several years so there's a huge spectrum there. And I can't say from my vantage point that they all have something in common. But again, some of the things that I think leaders do well or would, would be served to do well, goes back again to employing that the emotional intelligence and the empathy, um, being effective communicators and that they know how to be able to language and articulate the, the purpose of the organization and its direction and why somebody would wanna be involved in that, that is so important today. Uh, then, of course, being being able to listen, being able to gather ongoing in, in, intelligence and to continually learn and grow, be willing to get uh, constructive feedback from everyone and anyone, the 360 view, if you will, very, very important. Um, it's amazing how leaders don't really recognize just how intimidating they are and, and how that intimidation factor can, can um, inter, intervene in their effectiveness and their connection with their people. So, being present to how to eradicate that or diminish that it's so important so those are some of the things that if i if i'm going to look at leaders doing something well I'd, I'd add those behaviors to it uh what they don't do well or what i would like them to stop doing and consider uh, exchanging for other more productive behaviors would be well it's scary right so right now there's a lot of leaders that to your point earlier they they go in their office and they shut the door and just put out a bunch of meals because this is overwhelming and I certainly uh, respect and appreciate and empathize with that, which is all the more reason you need help. you cannot do this by yourself so I think the leaders that get themselves in trouble do think that they can do it by themselves and are probably doing it very very badly or could do it much much better. Uh, I suppose that another thing about the, about the uh, leaders not behaving or performing well would be that they're really considering the short term game so if i if I whack off you know twenty five percent of my of my my employees or my team or the volunteers, whoever it might be, that's gonna, that's gonna serve today's short-term dilemma, but it might cut off your nose to spite your face for maybe six months down the road. Is there another way to achieve the same revenue or the same cost reduction plan? So short-term thinking definitely is, is something that I see that is a, a negative and a, and a pull-down feature of some of the leaders that I've, I've been witnessing and hearing about and reading in the news. Um, and then finally, I guess I would say um, a lack of creativity and strategy, right? We talked about this before. This mirrors some of the things we talked about before, but not being creative enough or soliciting enough feedback or input about the direction of the organization and what where it could actually go. Um, being mired in, well, this is who we are. This is what we do. Well, it's today, today's the new normal. That means that whatever mentality you stepped in the room with before this pandemic hit will not serve you to get through on the other side. So you've got to create something different. So I think those would be the the, the two sides that I would offer just as a
0: start. Good list. Good list. Um, I've heard the term kicked around. Um, we're going to be in the new normal. I think we're going to be in the new radical. You know, we've mm-hmm. got to do something like that. very different. I just thought of that. It just came to me. I saw Bob Hopkins' name pop up. So when he ever see I see Bob's name. It, makes me think creatively, um, one of most creative. I'm gonna, so Elise, I'm gonna, um, we're gonna t- have another sponsor moment and then I'm gonna give you a chance to uh, do a call to action, do a challenge. What do leaders need to do to step up to reinvent the, the workplace? Because it's, it's up to us to lead the charge. And you were talking about vulnerability. I remember years ago, um, I coached a lot of uh, work with a lot of power leaders. And um, this guy said, I'm going to my board, my, my executive team and board, and there's some things I don't do really well. How do I say that to them? And I said, Well, just tell them. He said, I can't tell them I have weaknesses. And part of coaching is silence. And I said, You think they don't already know? So the next week, he said, Yeah, I told them this. And everybody said, Oh, I can do that. And so we're not transparent, we're not honest, we're not authentic. We don't say, hmm, I've got the vision and you've got the skill. So we're doing this together. And by the way, if, if, if the organization succeeds, who looks good? Well, not only a leader, but everybody looks good. So we got a lot of celebration. So I wanna talk about the EasyCard is our, is our sponsor here. But um, I told you about Centervision's Card, but I want you to get the Philanthropy easy card. This means you have to learn to spell philanthropy. Uh, Bob Hopkins, who's the author of um, Philanthropy Misunderstood, is um, he's he's quite a genius and in inspiring. Uh, well, inspiring me. I'm an old guy, but inspiring young philanthropists. And on the 27th of June, 2020, um, we're having a philanthropy conference. And right here on the easy card, you you get this easy card by texting the same number I gave you before. The number is six four six zero zero. Get your text out, put that number in. Down where it says message, type in philanthropy, P H I L A N T H R O P Y. That's a good spelling test. Okay, you get the card, you open this Youth Philanthropy Conference. There it is, first ever. Bob, Bob said, I had a dream that one day we would have a virtual international youth in philanthropy conference. So it's a collaborative effort of Center Vision and philanthropy misunderstood. So, Get this easy Card and find out what's going on. And you know what? Elise is going to be there, and there's going to be lots of other really good people there. But this is going to be led by young philanthropists who, i got to tell you, are quite remarkable. So thank you, Bob Hopkins. I'm sorry we're out of time. We're not going to be able to entertain questions from, from folks uh, that are watching here. So Elise, as we're winding down, EasyCard is the sponsor for Center Vision. We're able to do our programs because we have sponsors who believe in us and enable us to do these good things. So get your own easy cards for your organization. We'll help you do that. Once you get yours, you can see how to get your easy card. Elise, what do you want to leave people with? This You've given us a lot of good stuff, but what's your, what's your parting shot?
1: So you asked for me to give them a challenge. What I would challenge all listeners on this call, if you're leading a, a nonprofit, if you're a clergy, whatever whatever it is you're leading, I really would encourage you, I challenge you to do an audit of all of your practices. Whether you do that yourself, you get somebody to donate their services to you or whatever it might be, I can help a few of you certainly. Um, but you you really this is an opportunity for you to really audit the operation of your of your of your organization, and and I mean that's that's how you recruit, that's how you onboard, that's how you bring employees on to develop them, recognize them, um, teach them, and when they when they move out on the backside too, how you how they even exit the organization, and that's just the human capital side of things. That's of course where I would I would I I, I know how to help, but then operationally too, looking at how do you acquire your customers, how do you how do you care for them. How do you solicit referrals? I mean, all those sort of things. I think, especially from a people management point, which is my world, doing an audit of your whole process end to end, I think is completely essential. And I've been offering this now to several organizations. I'm in conversations with a couple about starting that very work next week. This This is your prime time to do this. Perfect time. That's my challenge. Do an audit.
0: Elise Cortez, it's been wonderful. Thank you for being on the nonprofit exchange today.
1: I loved every moment of it here. Thank you.
0: This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c suiteradiocom dot com.